Okay. Well, tonight I'm going to be talking on jealousy, which is a really funny topic because most of the time when we think of jealousy, we think of it being quite negative. But in the Bible, um, we're told that God is jealous, so there must be a good type of jealousy. But jealousy in the Bible also is listed in the sins. So it's very confusing. Jealousy can be good and it can be bad. And um, it's a bit like the word fear in the Bible. We come across the word um, fear when it's explaining our attitude towards God of um, the fear of the Lord. And it's a really good, healthy thing. But often we're told not to fear and not to be afraid. So um, there's a little bit of teasing to be done tonight with the word, um, partly because jealousy often seems to be translated as just jealousy wherever it is. So um, you'll be very pleased to know that I packed my sermon in two on Friday. I was going to be preaching on two kinds of jealousy right up until Friday and decided that that was way too much for one sermon. So today I'm just going to be focusing on godly jealousy um, rather than earthly jealousy. I might do a part two at some point because I do quite fancy getting my teeth stuck into earthly jealousy as well. Um, so the aim of tonight really is to explain what godly jealousy is and then we're going to look together at how we can experience it and how we can have God, godly jealousy for those around, for those around us. Um, before I do that, I think it would probably be helpful to define what I mean by godly jealousy and what I mean by earthly jealousy, um, just so that we're really clear on the difference. So some helpful definitions. The difference between godly and earthly jealousy. Sometimes earthly jealousy in the Bible is called envy. So you'll find that cropping up as well. So I'll probably use the terms interchangeably. Um, In many ways, the difference between godly jealousy and earthly jealousy is whether you have a claim over the thing that you're desiring. So with godly jealousy, it's always triggered when it's something that we already possess like a special relationship, is under threat. And it's accompanied by a very watchful guarding of something that is yours. So, for example, um, if you're married um, and your spouse is looking at other women or going off with other women, you have this godly jealousy inside of you because actually that's your, your spouse, that's your relationship, and you're allowed to have a jealousy over them. Um, Some people would be jealous for their reputation. So your reputation belongs to you. If you're being slandered and it's not true, you'd have a godly sense of feeling jealous for your reputation. So it's something that is already yours that you're watchfully guarding and claiming back as yours. That's God's jealousy. Earthly jealousy is triggered when we lack a desired attribute or an item enjoyed by another. And it's normally accompanied by either withdrawing from that person that's got that thing that you want, or you interfere and take it away from them. So, for example, I like chocolate. My husband is very self-controlled with chocolate and generally will eat his chocolate less quickly than I will. So if he has chocolate in the cupboard and I have none, that is a desired attribute or item that I would like from him. So I can either withdraw from him because I'm so jealous that he's got the chocolate or when he's out of the house I can actually take it from him both are um, from motives of selfishness actually I'm only thinking of myself so with earthly jealousy the motive is always selfish it's always coming from lack and it's never really thinking about preserving the relationship whereas godly jealousy is always for the relationship it's always it's always for um, people 
And there's a really lovely in the story in the Bible that illustrates these two types of jealousy really well. And it's a story that you'll know and be really familiar with. So it's um, the story of the prodigal son, where there's two sons and a father, and the youngest son goes to his father and says, Dad, I would like all of my inheritance, everything that I would normally get when, when you die, I would like that now. And um, the father gives him all the inheritance. The youngest son, he goes off, and he squanders the inheritance. He spends it on wild living, and he soon runs out of money. And he ends up um, farming pigs and eating pig food decides to come back to his father and we're told in the story that what, what is the father doing he's watching and he's waiting for the son to come home there's this idea that actually he's less concerned about what the son has done and most concerned about the relationship we're told that the father picks up his robes and runs which in the day would have been really undignified so um He does that because he's guarding his relationship with his son. The most important thing to him is that the son has come home. In contrast, you've got this older brother who's absolutely furious with the younger brother because he's coming from a place of lack. Um, The younger brother is getting a rope around him. He's having a banquet. There's this big party. And what does the older brother do? He stands outside. He completely withdraws. You know, sometimes when somebody is being really blessed, it's really painful to be around them because you think, why is it you and not me? And that's earthly jealousy. So we're not going to go into earthly jealousy today, but ironically, earthly jealousy, can, it can be really helped if you know godly jealousy, then it's a bit of an antidote to ungodly jealousy. So if that older son had known, actually, the father was jealous for him as well, and he'd known, actually... All of this was his, and he had a right to all of the inheritance too. Then he wouldn't have displayed that earthly jealousy as much. Hopefully that gives you a bit of an initial picture of of what um, the two types of jealousy are. So just to mention as well, with um, earthly jealousy, God could never experience it. He can only experience the first jealousy because God can't lack anything. He's never going to be jealous of you. You know, sometimes people have a really distorted idea of what God's like as a dad, like that he would try and take something away from you because, you know, you're becoming too big for your boots, whatever. God can never, never display earthly jealousy. He never lacks anything. So God's jealousy appears over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not something that's hidden away in an obscure passage. We see it over and over in fact, the first time that we ever see God's jealousy is um, slap bang in the middle of the Ten Commandments. So right in a really important piece of scripture. And it's here in Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. If you've got a Bible, feel free to open. If not, it's on the screen. So Exodus 24 and 5 says, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or, I, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. The first point to notice with God's jealousy is that he's jealous for a relationship with his people, which at this point is the Israelites. 
It's the sort of guarding, watching jealousy that is consumed with his relationship with him. If we look at this verse in context, it was given to Moses. And in the time of Moses, um, there were many other gods that people worshipped. And you had to try and please them all, and you had to try and keep them all happy. But Yahweh says, I don't want you to treat me how you treat these other gods. I want all of you. I want to be your only God. And this was a really new concept for them. He says that I want our relationship to be more like husband and wife. I want it to be exclusive. And you hear this phrase over and over and over again in the Bible. I counted 43 times on Bible Gateway where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it's this idea of exclusivity. They're not to worship other gods. And um, often when you see godly jealousy, it's provoked by idolatry. And idolatry in the Bible is often compared to spiritual adultery. Um, So like a husband and a wife relationship, when one strays, you're jealous for them. And there's a book um, in the Bible called Hosea, which is a book of a prophet, And this is so beautifully displayed in the book. You have um, a a prophet, Hosea, and God asks him to marry a prostitute. He asks him to marry Gomer. And um, what happens is Gomer is unfaithful to Hosea, and Hosea forgives her and takes takes her back. And there's this idea that um, their marriage is is relaying what's happening between God and his people. That actually God's saying, when you sin, when you walk away from me, when you worship other gods, it's not just sin. Actually, you're breaking the relationship with me. You're breaking my heart. You're breaking a covenant with me. So what does all this history and all of these Old Testament stories and prophets have to do with us today? Is God still a jealous God? Well, we know that God's character never, ever changes We're told that he um, is the same yesterday and today and forever. So he is always jealous. But the thing that does change is God's people. See, the the phrase, um, I will be your God and you will be my people, it runs right the way through to the book of Revelation. But there's this hinge point where actually the people of God changes when Jesus comes to the earth. So before that, the people of God were the Israelites. But when Jesus came, he died on a cross so that actually anybody that believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so you kind of have a shift of people, but God is still jealous for his people, and his people can be us, which means that he is jealous of you and me. This is from C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain, chapter 3. He says, You asked for a loving God, you have one. The consuming fire himself, jealous, inexorable, apparently that means unstoppable, I had to look that up. Um, How should this be? I do not know. It passes reason to explain why any creatures, not to say creatures such as we, should have such a value, so prodigious, which apparently means remarkable, in their creator's eyes. Now he's still jealous for his people and he's still jealous for you. You're of great value to him and he's paid a great, great price for you 
through sending his only son for you. So we could do a theological study on the jealousy of God and not look at the desire of his affections and we would completely miss the point because you cannot separate the jealousy of God from his people, from you. It's completely avoiding the the point. It's very personal. He's jealous because he loves you. He's jealous because he wants you and he's always jealous for people. So what does this mean for us? Well, through the cross, you're rightfully his children. So he's jealous to get that full relationship with you. It means that he carefully watches over and guards you. And he's jealous when you worship other things. There's been a really popular song over the last couple of years called Reckless Love. And it's really struck a chord with a lot of people. And I think there's something quite unique in it that really speaks to people's hearts. It's calling out this idea So I'm going to read out the verses. It goes, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it, so you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. This idea that God is jealously guarding you, jealously, jealously watching over you and getting through obstacles so that he can give you everything that Jesus has paid for on the cross. And of course, that doesn't just include our salvation. He's jealous for your health. He's jealous for you to be living in complete freedom as well. Um, when I was about 19... I had a little Ford Fiesta. It was my favorite car because it was sort of a petrol blue, a bit like the color of your cars again down there. And um, I used to be in university in Southampton. That's how I met David. And um, I was traveling back from Southampton late one night back to my parents' home, which is in Epsom. And um, I was on the M3 and it was really dark. There's no lights on the M3. It's a terrible motorway to get stuck on. And it was middle of the night, and um, I managed to blow a hole through the engine of my little Ford Fiesta. And um, it was about the size of a tennis ball. It was pretty impressive. Apparently no fault of my own, but I don't know if that's true. And um, I was there, middle of the night, and I, I had the insurance card on me, so I phoned the insurance company, and they said, oh, we'll come and we'll tell you. It might be an hour or so. So, Okay. So I was sitting there waiting in my car. I thought, do I get out or do I stay in the car, which is safer? I don't really know. So I called my dad. And um, my dad, he, from Epsom, got in his car and he drove all the way down to the M3 where I was and came to find me. And um, just around the same time that the guy came and um, put my car up to the tow truck. And... um, It's this lovely image of actually, when you're in trouble, God will come and find you. And um, you need to know that he's jealous for you. In those moments when you feel frightened, actually, that's when you can call on him and he will come. My dad wasn't there because he was particularly frightened for me. He just valued the relationship with me. He wanted me to know that he was going to be there. And then he tailgated me the whole way home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the um, poor tow truck guy. <laughs> yeah, 
If we can, I'd like to show this video. We're hoping that there will be sound. You look good. Thank you. Hey! See the guy taking my little girl out, huh? Yep. Huh. You know what? Why don't you go ahead and take my new car? Thanks, Pops. Go ahead, babe. Watch this. I'm taking you home. Why? Car Finder on the Hyundai Genesis. Back so soon? Here you go, sir. Because a dad's got to do what a dad's got to do. Honey, what'd you guys do tonight? If you're a dad, you can probably relate to that, right? I've had the joy of doing youth work now for about seven years, and I have the unenviable task sometimes of teaching them about sex and relationships. Normally the girls, I have had the talk with the boys as well, but normally the girls, and um, whenever I do it, I teach the girls that they have a father who is jealous for them. I just think it's a great starting point that he's chosen them, he loves them, he cares for them. I teach them that he thinks about them all the time. So in Psalm 139, it says, his thoughts to me are as many as the grains of sand in the seashore. It says that he knows how many hairs are on their head. He knows everything about them, and he knows wherever they go. It says, when I sit and when I rise, you're always with me, Lord. And um, we teach them to practice his presence wherever they go or practice the awareness of his presence wherever they go. A bit like Kevin Hart popping up wherever they go. But we teach them to value God more than anything else because he's jealous for their heart. And I don't teach them this to install some sort of big brother in the sky, kind of, you best watch out because God's watching all the time. I don't tell them um, that because I'm trying to Um, cause them to fear in any way at all. Um, What I'm saying is that God doesn't, and I'm also not saying to them that God doesn't want you to have a relationship with someone else. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. So yes, we want to prioritize God, but he always values us having other relationships. It's not like an absolutely exclusive thing, but he does want you to put him first. He wants you to be more aware of your presence as you navigate throughout your day and for his voice to be the one that you value the most. So for the teenagers, when they're starting to date, actually, are you aware that God's with you on your date? Do you know that you've got a father and he's jealous for you and he loves you? When Bill Johnson's daughter, Leah, um, I heard this story on a, I think it was an interview last week on Bethel TV, when... um, Bill Johnson's daughter Leah um, started dating um, and then the um, guy became her fiancé. He asked Bill for permission for Leah's hand in marriage and um, Bill said that he asked him one question and the question was, do you love the Lord more than you love her? In other words, do you put the Lord first? Not because he didn't want him to love Leah but actually when you love God... Life 
life flows out from it. In Jeremiah 24, 7, it says, I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. God wants your whole heart. He wants you to love them with the whole of your heart, because he loves you with the whole of his. That's the secret to life, right there. He wants you to love him with the whole of your heart, because he loves you with the whole of his. So he knows what is best for you. He loves you more than you can even understand. And therefore, he wants you to put him first because that is the way that you will be most satisfied and most fulfilled. He's not just a little bit jealous of you. He's jealous for the whole of you, like a husband would be jealous for a wife. In Exodus 34:14, it says, You must worship no other gods, For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. You have a father. I don't know what your earthly dad is like, but you have a heavenly father who is actually called Jealous. It actually defines his whole character. His name is Jealous. I'm going to switch over to the New Testament now. Did you know that we can partake in godly jealousy? So although I'm calling it godly jealousy, actually you can experience that and you can demonstrate that to those around you. In this, in this passage, um, Paul says that he's very jealous. And the thing that he's jealous for in this passage are the people of Corinth. I'm going to take a bit of water and then I'll read it out. He says, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with what anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus to the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you've received, or a different kind of gospel that you want once than the one you believed. So Paul here is jealous. He's not jealous that they would be devoted to him, Paul, but he's jealous that their whole hearts would belong to Christ. And you'll find that the best leaders, the best friends, the best pastors will be people that have um, that intention, that your whole heart should be devoted to Christ, not to them necessarily. Um, Paul echoes this Old Testament imagery in this verse of God being like a bride and um, the relationship with God and the church being like a bride and groom. But in these verses, you've got these other suitors that are trying to interfere and woo the bride away from the gospel. So in verse 3, where it says, um, the goal is to divert the Corinthians from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, that in, in the Greek, it literally translates as Um, diverting them away from a wholeheartedness towards Christ. And um, there's lots of opinions about what what verse 4 means. It's quite cryptic. So a different Jesus or a different spirit or a different gospel to the one you believed. Um, We know that it says in 1 Corinthians 7 that the people at Corinth, um, they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit 
and they were also operating in spiritual gifts. Um, and Paul is jealous for them because they're believing a different gospel. We don't know what that gospel is. It's a little bit um, cryptic. But we know that in other places, like Galatians, the people really struggled um, to understand the grace of Christ, that actually it wasn't their righteous deeds or what they did that um, guaranteed their sonship. It's actually the grace and, and belief in Jesus. So maybe that's what the people in Corinth were experiencing as well. But whether as in the time of Moses, where God's jealousy is triggered by literal idols, or in the time of Paul, when people are just losing that wholehearted devotion to Jesus, the remedy is, well, the first commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body. Um, that remo- means refusing to give your devotion to anything else, good or bad. No person fully represents God other than Jesus. And something that I find quite a helpful habit is if um, I see something really wonderful in somebody, I will honor that person and say, you know, when I see you, Sasha, I experience the joy of God in a way that is so tangible and so amazing that it makes me worship him more. So what I'm doing is I'm recognizing that Sasha is a reflection of God. She's got Holy Spirit living in her and she's given to him. But your worship always belongs to Jesus. It's always him that people are modeling. I've come up with four easy ways to walk in the jealousy of God, which is a bit of a summary of what we've just looked looked at. So the first thing is know. Know that he's jealous for you and remain aware of his presence. You know, if you're hungry for more of that, if you're hungry to know more of his presence, then get in his word, spend time with him, listen to him, and be with him, practice it. Um, the second thing is um, refuse to worship anything else. Give him your whole heart. This includes refusing to idolize fear, refuse to idolize the pleasing of people, Refuse to idolize miracles. Refuse to idolize anything that takes away your devotion from Christ. Don't live for anything but him. Give him your whole heart, which he will certainly not break. The third thing is surround yourself with friends that are jealous for you. So like Paul, friends that will encourage you in your connection with God. Friends that will pour water on your fears and fan into flame your dreams. And lastly, guard your relationships so you can be jealous for your friends, Christians or not, that they would get all all that Jesus has paid for them. He's jealous for their salvation, their healing, their freedom from areas of sin. In each instance, protect your relationship with them and don't stop being jealous for them. You know, often um, we're, we're described as being brothers and sisters in Christ. And often um, in earthly brothers and sisters, you can experience earthly jealousy. So lots of bickering or, oh, so-and-so's got this and I haven't. Um, But wouldn't it be amazing if at Eastgate we practice being jealous for one another rather than being jealous of one another? So in conclusion, godly jealousy is always for something that we already possess. 
it's accompanied by a careful watching or guarding of something that's yours. Let's be brothers and sisters who are jealous for what is ours, for living in continual awareness of his presence, and for living for heaven on earth, displaying the jealousy of God to those around us. Okay, just focus on him. Just focus on him. I just had this phrase before I got up to speak that um, fire falls on sacrifice. And I think for some of you, um, being here tonight has been a bit of a sacrifice, actually. And um, I just want you to know that God really values faithfulness. And the fact that you're here and you're carrying on with him despite difficulty, um, he really values. And God, I want to pray particularly for those people. I pray that they would know your presence wherever they go. Jesus, I release your presence. Thank you that you guard them, that your word says you watch over them day and night. You watch over them as they sleep. You watch over them when they're at work, when they're at rest and play. Holy Spirit, I pray that these people will go from here with a new awareness of your presence. And I pray that many, many new believers will come to Eastgate. Help us to be jealous for the people in our communities. And for everything that you have called us to be. Help us to refuse to give in to fear. To refuse to give in to anything that would block us from you. Jesus, you have our whole hearts. Amen.